You're listening to the New Security Broadcast from the Wilson Center's Environmental Change and Security Program. I'm Lauren Reese, and in today's episode, we're welcoming back Iris Ferguson, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Arctic and Global Resilience. We last spoke to Iris in late November when she was preparing for the Defense Department's delegation to COP28 in Dubai. In today's conversation, Iris will share more about DOD's engagement at the Climate Summit and walk us through some of the Pentagon's climate security priorities for the coming year. Iris, I'm really glad to be speaking with you again today. When we last met, it was just on the eve of COP28, and you shared your hope for what DOD would bring to the COP and and what you hope to achieve at COP28. Um, So tell us about it. How was it? Uh, Did it meet your expectations? Yeah, thanks so much for having me back. Um, this is such a fun opportunity to to do a little bit of a recap, having just gotten back from Dubai um, not that long ago. Uh, yeah, this is my first COP since becoming the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense and looking at Arctic and global resilience and climate issues for the department. And you know, it's at the at the start, it's important to say that I think it, the COP you know had some notable agreements that were reached um, on recognizing the needs of those most impacted by climate change and um, on some real important goals around renewable energy generation and, and energy efficiency. And by and large, it was just an incredibly rich experience across the board. I was pretty staggered, quite frankly, on the sheer size of the event, some 90 to 100,000 participants. Um, Dubai just did an amazing job of managing the logistics and making everything run as smoothly as it could for that level um, of attendance. It was, you know, a huge international convening in a place where you really can't have the level and breadth of conversation without that many people in one place. So it was really eye-opening to see the world convene around climate and energy security topics on anything and everything that you would want to address. It was almost, it was just, it was too much to be able to navigate in the five days that we were on the ground. Um, And it just left me, of course, with a real excitement about the amount of energy that's being dedicated to this space, but also just knowing that um, there was so much more to be done uh, while we were there. Another big takeaway was this that security was part of the agenda for kind of the first time. Uh, We talked about this a little bit in the run-up, but um, I was struck, you know, once you're on the ground of really seeing um, climate security being a topic that folks were interested in engaging on. The UAE did a great job of having a representation of lots of different topics um, across the board, but they had one day focus on peace, relief, and recovery, where we were able to, you know, thematically dive into climate security topics. And we saw, you know, Special Envoy Kerry uh, mention the Department of Defense, I mean, noting all the work that we're doing on climate security and noting that climate security needs to be uh, a part of COPS going forward. We also heard from NATO's General Stoltenberg highlighting the importance of climate security. So I think there's a clear demand to have security interests represented at future COPs, which is telling. Um, And then, you know, us being there, it sent a signal uh, to other countries about how seriously, you know, we're thinking about climate security from a DOD perspective, but also um, a signal to industry that we're looking for partners. And that was one of my other big takeaways, just the sheer presence of industry. It was a a mammoth amount of industry at at this particular convening. Um, And it was really great because we were able to have so many different conversations conversations with different types and styles of industry that would be very hard to uh, arrange otherwise. 
No, that I didn't. I don't think I realized that the numbers were that large. I was thinking more in the seventy thousand range, and it really was like just an immense undertaking by the UAE. But really, like I think there's, you know, you have the formal negotiations, and then all these side events, and there's a real energy um, around the side events that I think are helping to to make those formal negotiations more um, impactful and successful. So that's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you had a good good experience and came back energized. You noted that. You know, in our original conversation um, a couple months ago, you had noted that some of DOD's partner countries had expressed a desire to see more participation from DOD in the international climate space. And of course, DOD had a strong presence at this delegation. How were you received by partner countries, by um, non-partner countries, right? Thinking about sort Mm -hmm. of in spaces where there might be, you know, different geopolitical tensions or whatnot, like how, how... how did those conversations go? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think that there was a real reception to DOD's presence. We're still considered a little bit of an outlier um, in a way. And I think, so I think we were met with enthusiasm, but also a little bit of curiosity. Uh, Like what, what role are you doing here? And and it was actually really great because we were able to tell, uh, you know, the story we were there to tell Um, one about us being there for a whole of government approach you know, the White House has been very clear that tackling the crime of the crisis requires a whole of government and whole of society approach. And so the Department of Defense is is certainly a, a part of that. We also came to talk about how we're in the strategic risk business, that a lot of the, you know, work that we're trying to think about here is on how we're calculating climate security risk from increasing hazards, um, disaster response requirements, to helping our partners build capacity and resilience, um, to, you know, charting out where there might be um, instability based on climate risks uh, and looking and then looking at the vast amount of energy technology that's put on display at COP um, and, and looking at how we can can leverage it. And so, you know, as one of the world's largest organizations, you know, we are full of miniature cities and transportation networks and so looking for the solutions to, you know, drive more efficiency and leveraging technology um, was a really key part of why we were there. And I think people... Once we explained that to people, their eyes were open, like, oh, that makes a lot of sense why you're here. And that's really great that you all are recognizing not only the impacts of climate change to your operations, being responsive to the demands that you're hearing from partner countries who are saying that climate risk is their number one national security threat and thinking through how we can help build the capacity of partner nations, but also, you know, recognizing our own uh, our own footprint and thinking about how we can leverage the energy transition in a meaningful way to build our own efficiencies and to make ourselves more resilient. And so we had, you know, a, you know dozens of conversations whilst on the ground and, you know, happy to, d- to dive into some of those if useful. Yeah, I think, you know, you talked about before about how this would be a good opportunity to also hear from other, from outside of the sort of Pentagon's mm-hmm. echo chamber, right? And so I'd love to hear to the extent that you can share what were some of the insights or sort of unexpected conversations that you had. 
Yeah, you know, like one of our, you know, in addition to telling the story of why we were there, one of our big objectives was honestly to, to listen and to learn from others. You know, we are one of the world's largest and most far-flung organizations, um, and we're hearing and seeing firsthand the impacts of, of climate change. But, you know, we're also really, we're interested in hearing the perspective of other others, and we appreciated the work of, you know, the Munich uh, Security Conference, in addition to the UAE hosts, who put on a number of uh, events that brought together non-traditional partners in a lot of ways to talk about climate security. I'm actually headed out to Munich later this month to consider to, to continue some of the conversations. One of the things I think was mo- most interesting were some of these industry engagements and seeing folks that we might not have otherwise had access to um, in, a, in our regular course of business. We met with a number of venture capital firms, including Breakthrough Energy. We also met with uh, some trade industry groups like Edison Electric to think about you know, utility-scale adoption of renewables and how we can be partnering with them in our efforts for carbon-free electricity and building of microgrids and resilience. I'm also looking, like, talking to companies like Amazon and understanding, and they have a vast logistics footprint just as we do, um, and under, getting some thoughts from them on how they have worked to leverage different types of technology like heat pumps or data centers. Um, there's, you know, we have some of the similar challenges that industry is, is is focused on. And so really looking to hear from them. We also were able to speak to a number of academic institutions and, are, and, and folks that are doing science around climate issues that have application to the work we're doing. Um, I participated in a, an event with um, Woodwell Climate and, and Google who were focused on on um, mapping of permafrost in a unique way for the Arctic region and understanding where there are vulnerabilities, a kind of a, a collective look at permafrost in the Arctic um, in a way that hasn't been done before and how they can predict where there were potential um, challenges of, of melting. Um, and that, that has implications for my the part of my office around Arctic security um, and understanding how our operations and our installations at our bases in Alaska, but you know, across um, with our partners and allies across the Arctic region, how they're being impacted by by permafrost melt. So just some, I, you know, I'd say for us, um, the Pentagon can be a pretty isolating place in some ways because it's so big inside itself and you spend so much time navigating the internal part of DOD that when you have an opportunity to get outside um, and hear from others in a place which is which was so rich in content and ideas from the outside world, it was a pretty incredible experience. Did you come back with a longer to-do list than you arrived in Dubai with? Did you walk oh, away well, with some? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I think that that was one of the cha- I think that's one of the challenges is trying to, you know, take advantage of all the opportunities that are that exist in this space and trying to to leverage them to to greater effect within the the broader DOD and also the, the and working alongside our interagency partners. I would definitely say that we came back with a, a longer to-do list, um, but in a good way, because I think some of the challenge with navigating the climate crisis is that it, you can kind of get stuck in the clouds at times. And w- what's helpful about convenings like COP is that it, it brings you to the table 
um, with either industry or with foreign partners um, in a way that, that you can kind of tangibly start talking about things. You can talk about specific programs that you could collectively invest in. You're talking about specific innovations that we could leverage that would move the needle in a meaningful way. And so to that end, I think it's a, it's a good to-do list, um, but definitely longer than we came in with. Well, and there has been some pushback on the uh, Defense Department's emphasis on emissions reductions, one argument being that those efforts would be better directed at warfighting readiness and operational effectiveness. I mean, you made pretty clear last time we spoke that the, the connections between emissions reductions and warfighting readiness and operational effectiveness, but I wonder what your response would be to that, uh, to that criticism. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's pretty simple. I, I think that the DOD's mission is to navigate strategic risk, and we need to be mindful of all of the types of strategic risk, whether it be the impacts of climate change to our operations that we're seeing in real time now. Take, for example, the recent videos that you may have seen of the massive waves pummeling the military facility in the Marshall Islands, um, where you're kind of seeing in real time the implications of sea level rise and increased storm surge on, on our actual military capability in real time, or a recognition of the challenge of liquid fuels in general, that they are heavy and they are expensive to transport. They also have really complicated logistics tails. So to the extent that we can emphasize and increase our efficiencies, that helps our strategic risk. I think in the last conversation with you, I pointed out that in a lot of our war games, um, especially around the Indo-Pacific, that fuel is often seen as a point of vulnerability and a point of attack for our adversaries. And uh, where we're able to have a margins of efficiency gains, it helps us and it is considered a mark can help us with our margin of victory in a lot of ways in our war games. So I think that you can do both. I think you can look at efficiencies and I think you can look at reduction of emissions um, in tandem with uh, warfighter advantage. And that's that sweet spot that that's what we're looking for within the Department of Defense, that it's primarily about mission advantage and where we can reduce emissions, we're looking to do so. Well, so talk about, you know, looking ahead, what your priorities are over the next year when it comes to engaging and supporting the you know, partners and allies on climate and energy and, and broader environmental issues, um, both sort of in you know, the two buckets <laughs> that you carry with the Arctic and the global resilience, what are you focusing on um, and, and looking to other partners to help support as well? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a really fascinating space to be working in right now because there's just so much momentum and so much that can be done um, as being a kind of a new office and building new mission space for the DOD. So, you know, last year, last fall, we hosted an, an international climate and energy security forum. It was the first time that we'd brought together um, MODs or um, military departments from fellow uh, countries to come together to talk about energy security and climate security. Um, and we're, we're looking, that was a really an important event. It was about three days um, in San Diego area. And um, not only were we able to crosstalk around how we're thinking about collective risk, how are you thinking about wargaming, what kinds of analysis are you undertaking on platforms? Say, for example, um, you know, submarine and sonar and how is salinity affecting their capacity or how is heat impacting the ability for aircraft to take off? 
a lot of our allies are, you know, have the same platforms we do. It's interoperable. So what are the lessons that we're learning from them? Um, and we looked at technology too, and, and where we're looking to leverage technology collectively, and what we're investing in. Similar to kind of how COP was, but you know, on a on a U.S. scale, we we brought folks together to understand where we're making some investments in some of the industry we're partnering with. But I think we're looking to, you know, continue that dialogue in 2024. It was such an important uh, catalyst for driving some really important conversations with our allies and partners around how we're building microgrids, can we take some lessons learned together, how are we using NATO and the, the alliance with NATO um, and the emphasis that NATO is putting on, you know, transitioning its energy, um, making you know, sound decisions on energy resilience for the alliance. How can we work collectively with that alliance structure? How are we looking at battery standardization alongside our allies and partners to note that there's really complex batteries that the department has? Um, but as we um, are looking to leverage com new commercial uh, sector technology, are we doing so um, in mind with our partners and allies? And how are we really keenly focused on interoperability? That's one area of huge huge emphasis for us. We're also really heavily focused in working with the combatant commands and thinking through climate risk. We had a big emphasis in 2023 on looking at a couple of posture-limited theaters, specifically Southcom and AFRICOM, and helping them, you know, just thinking through how they're currently thinking about climate security risk in their spaces, how their staffing looks for interpreting climate security risk, uh, what that it means for their, you know, campaign plans, and also what does it mean for their partners in the region and some of our combatant commands are really on the front lines of hearing from our partners um, and understanding that climate change and the climate risks are some of the most profound national security risks for these partners. And so how can we um, listen to that demand signal? Um, and to that end, we've been working closely with our combatant commands to roll out our uh, a program that my office runs, um, Defense Operational Resilience International Cooperation Program. It's a bipartisan, actually given pilot program for the Department of Defense to try to help respond to some of those needs, specifically around climate resilience. It's the only tool that the Department of Defense has to help build the resilience of partners and allies around energy security and around climate security. Um, and we're trying to use that to great effect and looking not only at AFRICOM and SOUTHCOM, but also, you know, thinking about our other combatant commands and Indo-PACOM and, and CENTCOM and NORTHCOM. And so really are very excited about continuing to work with the combatant commands. And then and lastly, just in a couple of months, um, you know, we're, we're rolling out a, a new DOD Arctic strategy, which, you know, talks about the strategic, changing strategic environment of the Arctic region, talks about different drivers for why we're having the strategy, but also brings some real focus into what we need to operate in a changing Arctic environment, what kind of capabilities we need to see better, to be able to communicate better, to be able to detect threats better, um, and how we're working really closely with our allies allies and partners. It's in a very dramatically changing security environment in the Arctic, especially with the enlargement of NATO and how we're, you know, thinking through leveraging the collective capacity of our allies and partners. So those are just a couple of wave tops, but there's a lot more going on in this office. It's actually just a really fun and thrilling place to be working right now. That's great. And you, you mentioned Doric, right? Yeah. It, where is that in the process? Is and, and at what point, because it's a pilot, right? So at what point will you be able to sort of talk about, you know, the success, lessons learned? Is it something that can be yeah. scaled up? No, I think it's a really important question. It's a kind of a proof of concept right now. Um, so last year, you know, we, we were 
in the process of developing the program and implementing a new authority. And any, anyone that knows anything about implementing new authorities is that it's, it's, it's complicated legally and trying to determine what you can and can't do. So last year, you know, was a, real, a huge growth period. This year, we're, you know, about we, we admittedly are waiting on an appropriations to be able to be to be able to you know award the funding for 2024. But we're hoping to have you know selection of our the projects in um, early spring timeframe. Um, and once those are selected, you know, have, you know definitely can can speak about them and tell the story of what we were you know able to invest in last year. But I think this year will be even more compelling because we've had a lot of conversations in the building, in with our interagency counterparts parts and with Congress, quite frankly, on what, what we're allowed to do um, and how we're, how we're allowed to help our allies and partners. Um, and I think it's going to be, it's going to be a really interesting um, test case to show, you know, what does it look like to bring partners together around training events? Are there unique styles of small scale um, equipment that we can bring to bear or training that we can bring to bear um, through this program. I think all of that is, you know, fair game. And so we're really excited about the potential and um, happy to come back and talk about it uh, once we have the, the projects awarded. Oh, good. Because that was going to be my next question was, can we, when can we have you back? Because it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to hear about that and then and thinking about it in the different sort of context of those co-coms, right? And what the different needs are and whether yeah. the lessons can be taken across. So that's that's great. Well, Iris, it's really nice to speak with you as always. Thank you for taking the time um, and we'll definitely come back and it sounds like a handful of months to check in on, on your work. Thank you. Yeah, it'd be great. Thanks so much again for the opportunity. You've been listening to the new security broadcast at the Wilson Center. Thanks for tuning in. For more on the UN Climate Summit's focus on peace and security, please visit our new security broadcast series titled Relief, Recovery, and Peace. For more information about the environmental change and security program, follow us on X at New Security B, on LinkedIn at Wilson Center Environmental Change and Security Program, and visit newsecuritybeat.org.